KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. For today's podcast, I'm going a little off topic to check in with Steve Martin, not about a film, but rather about his latest theater piece, a comedy called Meteor Shower. The play takes a familiar premise. One couple invites another couple over for dinner and drinks. Think who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, but with a Twilight Zone twist. Well, I don't shake hands. (laughs) I don't blame you. Number one way of stranger. Number two, handrails number one. (laughs) Small production winery in Santa Barbara. $80. $80. Wow. $80? Can I get you something to drink? White wine is fine. Coming right up. You know, white that I could mix with Pellegrino? It's not Pellegrino. Do you have Perrier? I prefer Pellegrino. Perrier is too strong. Or just club soda. No big deal. <laughs> the Coopers introduced us to Pellegrino. Remember that, Laura? You don't forget something like that. Although Martin's fairly new to the theater world, he's been doing comedy for a long time. Here's an appearance he made on the Smothers Brothers show back in 1968. We happened to be walking through the writer area of the show, and uh, there he was sitting at one of our writer's desks. And later we found out that he actually was one of our writers. It's amazing. Yeah. And since he hasn't been paid for his work, we thought we'd let him come out and uh, tonight and make a few dollars. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steve Martin. said I'm Steve Martin and I'll be out here in a minute uh, while I'm while I'm waiting for me I'd like to jump right into kind of a socko bafo comedy routine this has really been a big one for me it's the one that kind of put me where I am today I'd like to start right off this is really a big one a fabulous glove into dove trick His routine was all about things going wrong, like magic tricks where the glove doesn't turn into a dove. He soon became famous as that wild and crazy guy who would have an arrow through his head or be playing a banjo on stage. But again, it would be about things not going quite right. Nothing like professional show business. Okay, here we go. We're all ready to roll now. My name is Steve Martin. I'll be out here in just a moment, and we'll be ready to roll. I'm just a professional act in show business. I try to do a professional show wherever I am, especially on television. So what you're seeing is completely print, planned out, and rehearsed. And I'm... Right. Here we go. So here we go. Here we go. We're ready now. Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Professional acting show business. His comedy style makes a lot more sense after talking to him. He talks about studying philosophy, which he pointed out has almost no humor. But it has some, and it was the humor he found in things like Lewis Carroll's syllogisms that had him asking himself, why was it funny? Why was he laughing? 
Martin says a lot of his early comedy was about making people laugh, but leaving them not knowing why they were laughing. This approach also seems to have been an influence on his first film, The Jerk. In the history of motion pictures, only a select few performers have become immortalized by the roles they have portrayed. Consider The Vamp, The Champ, The Tramp. And now the most perfect casting of all, Steve Martin, The Jerk. It was never easy for me. I was born a poor black child. Meet Navin Johnson. He's poor. You mean I'm going to stay this color? And he's eager. This is the kind of music that tells me to go out there and free somebody! But a different side of his academic interests were reflected in the film Roxanne, where he adapted the play Cyrano de Bergerac about a title character with a big heart and an even bigger nose. Can I look at those nose cards one more time? Oh, yeah. C.D. Bales had a small problem. They said it was big, but I didn't expect it to be big. <laughs> he could handle every situation. Except the one that mattered most. I'm locked out of my house. Come on inside, I'll get the tools. I don't have any clothes on. <clears throat> Maybe you'd like some wine with your nose. Cheese. I want to look like Diana Ross. I think she's fallen in love, but she doesn't know it yet. There's someone I think I should get to know better. His name's Chris McConnell. This time I want you to do it, Dave. I want you to cut the thing off! Maybe you could encourage him a little. Look, she wants somebody who looks like me and talks like you. Don't panic. Stay calm. Stay calm. Because there is a heart here. That's good. That's okay. But it wants you worse to know. There's a possible 502 on Main. In 2014, Martin came to San Diego to collaborate with the Old Globe Theater on a new musical he had created with Eddie Brickell. The musical was called Bright Star, and it had its world premiere at the Globe and then went on to Broadway, where it garnered a few Tony nominations. Now Martin's back at the Globe, where there's something of a Steve Martin Appreciation Society forming with people like artistic director Barry Edelstein, eagerly welcoming the actor and writer back to San Diego for another world premiere. This time, it's for the comedy Meteor Shower. I'm so honored and grateful to him that he's entrusting his work to this theater. This was a play he started... 20 years ago, how early were you aware of this play? When Bright Star was running. When Bright Star was here in 2014, which actually was a little longer ago than it seems. It's, it, what makes it seem short is that it was on Broadway just a couple of months ago. So it never really stopped after the Old Globe. It just kept going. So it sort of that's what makes it feel so recent. But really, there's been a lot going on since Bright Star closed. So I asked him, do you have anything else that the Globe can look at? And he said, yeah, I've got this play. I've been working on it for a long time, and I, I keep wanting to come back to it. Why don't you see if you like it? And I read it, and I thought, wow, this is really funny. Why don't you keep going? And here we are. As a theater company, you don't have that many slots for how many plays you can put on each year. So what is it about Steve Martin that does make you want to return to him? Well, how long you got? <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of things. First of all, he's, he's a really gifted comic writer. Uh, and that actually is pretty thin on the ground in the American theater. A lot of amazing, wonderful plays and a lot of plays that are funny. But actually, not very many people are writing just out-and-out -out comedies. That's actually a, 
a matter of statistical fact. So when Steve Martin comes along and says, I've got a new comedy and he's as accomplished as he is, you know, novelist and screenwriter and essayist and playwright and all those things, uh, you take it really seriously. The other thing is that I have a friendship and professional collaboration with him going back close to 30 years now. I mean, you know, at least 22, 23 years. And, you know, those relationships are precious and serious and you don't take them lightly. So when somebody on that short list of people that you've got that long and artistic relationship with says, hey, I've got something I'd like you to look at, you take it seriously. And how would you describe Meteor Shower? What kind of a play is it? It is a comedy. It's a, it, we're calling it an adult comedy because it has some mature themes in it. It's a marriage comedy. It's a marriage comedy. It's an infidelity comedy. It's a relationship comedy. Comedy in every sense. But the subjects that it explores are specifically marriage and specifically marriage over a length of time and how a couple that's been married for a while keeps things fresh deals with challenges, and most of all, what the beautiful things are that come from being married to somebody for a, a long period of time. That's really what it is. It's um, only four actors, uh, very intimate in, 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 what it's, um, in its form and intimate in what it's about, but it goes into some really interesting things about what it's like to try and forge a relationship with another person over a long period of time. Well, Bright Star was, in a certain sense, about a mother and a son, and this is about couples. How do you see like the, his particular themes changing between these two plays? They're very, very different. Bright Star was a very sentimental story. The music brought with it a tremendous emotional tide force that gave it a sort of wistful feeling. doesn't have that. It's a much edgier and purely funny thing. What Steve and Gordon are trying to do is just make people laugh and have a wonderful time and along the way gain some insights about human psychology and marriage and relationships. So it doesn't have the sort of sepia-toned, wistful, emotional quality that uh, Bright Star had. Hey, Chef Boyardee, <laughs> you gonna list the whole recipe? Shut your stupid face. <laughs> oh, eat me. You wish. Boy, do I, cowboy. <laughs> it's like a desert down there. <laughs> Even a desert needs a little watering. Corky, the party has started. Can I get a refill? It's much more of a raucous out and out 
comedy. Is that one of the reasons why you wanted to do it? Because it does have that contrast? I really was following the Steve Martin impulse. I mean, there are just certain writers that, you know, you have a relationship with, a theater company has a relationship with, and you say, anything you write, we'll take really, really seriously. If not, anything you write, we'll do, you know? I, I feel that about Steve. Anything he writes, we'll do. This is his home now, a world premiere Steve Martin comedy that's really genuinely hilarious. That's a perfect thing for people to come and do in the summer. And we've been very clear about the fact that there's some uh, body content and some language, you know, that's why we're billing it as an adult comedy. So we've been very upfront about that. And um, I have found watching the show in previews a couple of times that uh, people really respond to the kind of naughtiness of it. You know, there's nothing mean-spirited or, or overly aggressive or violent about it, but there's a, there's a willingness to talk about some adult matters in a frank way that's just, you know, funny. <laughs> so, who are they? I never met her, and he's handsome-ish, so she probably is too. That's the way it goes. Good-looking guy, good-looking girl. Not so good-looking guy, not so good-looking girl. Not so good-looking rich guy, good-looking not so bright girl. <laughs> not so bright rich guy, good-looking smart girl. Not so good-looking rich girl, macho latent homosexual guy. What do you hope people come away from this play with? I hope people come away with their faces hurting from laughing so much. We survey our audience after they see the show and somebody sent a response back saying my daughter and I came to see the show and we laughed ourselves sick which I thought that's great <laughs> you know that, that's good just people laughing themselves sick but you know what I what I think what I've been telling people a lot about this play is uh, it's set in Ojai in the 90s and what people don't talk about with Steve so much is that he is a great thinker about California you know, his movie, L.A. Story, is one of the great movies about life in Los Angeles. Uh, rather than do an interview with me, which would be fascinating, by the way, I thought that possibly I'd take you on a, you know, kind of a cultural tour of L.A. Look how he's painted the blouse, sort of translucent. You can just make out her breast underneath it. You know, when I see a painting like this, I must admit, I get a little emotionally erect. Steve Martin. Did you know that the same technology used to clean up the Alaskan oil spill can also suck fat from your thighs and chin? L.A. Story. I'll have a decaf coffee. I'll have a decaf espresso. I'll have a double decaf cappuccino. Do you have any decaffeinated coffee ice cream? I'll have a half double decaffeinated half cap with a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. Yeah, I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. Both of his novels are set in Southern California. He grew up in Orange County. He began his career in Hollywood a, a while ago. He still lives part of the time in LA. He is, he's got a sense of Southern California that's really unique. You know, small handful of writers in American history have made Southern California their thing, and Steve's one of them. So one of the things that's fun about watching this play in San Diego is you really come away with a sense of a wry, ironic thinker um, having fun with the very particular and peculiar subculture of our region of the United States. You want a free wine? I'm gonna cool it on the wine. You're not drinking that much, just a bit. I know, stop it. No fat. 
No fat in wine? No. Trans fats, cholesterol? No. Then what's the problem? <laughs> no problem with anything at all as I check in with another of Martin's fans at the Old Globe Theater. This time, it's Gordon Edelstein. No relation to Barry. Gordon Edelstein is directing Meteor Shower. Steve Martin is a, compl- a unique voice in American, let's call it entertainment. His stand-up work, his acting work, his writing work, uh, both for movies and for theater. He has a unique, very specific, artistic point of view. And like all great artists, and I do think that Steve is truly a great artist, like all great artists, they are utterly and thoroughly themselves. And Steve, and first of all, as soon as I read it, it was Steve's brilliant, hilarious sense of humor, his slightly off-center take on human beings. And it was a play about marriage and relationships and about sexual relations. When Gerald and I had trouble, we went to work on it too. What did you do? Threesomes. (laughs) (laughs) You had a threesome? Twice. Gerald, me, and a stewardess. I thought it was, as usual for Steve, hilarious, brilliant, and very insightful and truthful. So I immediately, even though the play itself, the form was not yet complete, the play that your audiences will be seeing here in San Diego and my audiences in New Haven will see, is a far more developed work than that early sketch. But it's more, a little more than a sketch, early draft. But the insight and the humor and the Steve Martin-ness was all there, and it, I find it irresistible. Brilliant, unique, and irresistible. Can you put your finger on what it is that, like how he's coming at these relationships in marriage that is different or fresh from what other people have done? It's a good question. I, I don't know that I can. Well, again, uh, you know, and the answer is gonna be too long for the sound bite that you're gonna want from me. Steve has a very generous spirit you think of all his comedy, there's not a cruel moment in anything he's ever written. So it is both somewhat satiric at the, what fools these mortals be, somewhat satiric at, our, at all our behavior, yet it's done with a uh, loving and knowing non-judgmental heart. I understand you probably did not know that you hurt me. You said, I probably did not know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm asking you to be more careful with my feelings. They are not playthings. Your feelings are not playthings. That's what you meant? Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry that I hurt you in this way. I hope that you understand that I did not intend to hurt you, and I will try to use that particular joking manner less often. I do understand. Uh, He's both a great entertainer and a great artist. You don't have those hand in hand all that often. He both understands how to delight an audience without pandering, um, while remaining true to his very specific and particular artistic point of view, his temperament. And he's create look, he's created something which he has sustained for 
35 years. I don't know how long it has been. And um, it's very impressive. And I just consider myself unbelievably lucky to be a steward of this new work of his. I just am so grateful and lucky and having the time of my life. And talk about your cast. It's only four people, but... Yes, it's four. It's, it's two couples. In a way, it's a classic structure. One couple has another couple over for dinner. There's dozens of plays and dozens of TV shows and movies in which that is the, uh, the originating premise, right? Somebody comes over for dinner, what happens? I'm not gonna tell you what happens, but let's just say that the couple that comes over stirs the pot. So what should we do? Let's tell them I was obese. That's a new one. Keeps me on my toes. I wonder what they'll tell us. It took the Coopers 40 minutes to tell us one intimate thing. The Coopers, the mighty Coopers. Who thought they'd be so fragile? Mm, they got to the Beckwiths in 29 minutes. Was that a record? Who's counting? We are. Right! You're obese. You're his problem. It's a night, it could be fun. Must be they. They, that must be. Oh, I love to chat and I haven't chatted for a while. Other sides of each of the characters' personalities come out that they otherwise would not have, and sides of the personalities that were unknown to them. Each person inner character gets revealed in an extremely hilarious, fun, and surprising way. And you want to talk about the actors you've chosen? Yeah, well, we're so lucky. We have a spectacular cast, headed by Jenna Fisher, who is um, the star, one of the stars of The Office, magnificent actress. Greg Gurman, who's a wonderful actor, plays her husband, who was one of the stars of Ally McBeal. And I've known him for years as a wonderful stage actor. Um, Josh Stamberg, who's a, again a wonderful actor, has done all kinds of television and film as well, and Alex Hendrickson, who is a few years out of the Yale Drama School, who is uh, doing extraordinary work. So it's a, it's a kind of a perfect quartet. They are taking Steve words, Steve's words and doing a great job with them. All right, so if you had to sum this up for people to like, pitch them, like, this is why you need to come see this, what would you say? Well, the truth is, we don't need the publicity because it's almost sold out. I would say Meteor Shower is hilarious and wise and truthful look at marriage. The fact that Meteor Shower was essentially sold out before the first performance even began is one of the reasons I wanted to highlight the play. Through the interviews with Barry Edelstein, Gordon Edelstein, and Steve Martin, along with clips from the play, I thought it would at least give fans of Martin a taste of what the play is like. I had a chance to sit down with Steve Martin at the Old Globe Theater after the play had only had two preview performances, and he was still delivering rewrites. I began by asking him if the collaboration with the Globe has proven to be a good creative partnership. I have a very good working relationship with the Globe. I, I knew Barry Edelstein, the director, years before he came here. I was very happy for him when he came here. And then he asked, you know, keeps seeing what I have in a drawer. And you keep pulling stuff out. Yeah, well, I keep working on things. <laughs> so do you feel you learned anything from that Bright Star experience that you were able to apply to putting together Meteor Shower? Specifically, I don't know. I, I learned an enormous amount. But they're two very different experiences. With the Bright Star, you know, we have a cast of 18, and we have an orchestra, and we have a choreographer, many different departments. On this play, there's only four actors and a director, and that's pretty much it for my communication. So, you know, the more you work on something, 
in a genre, the more you know about it. So I know that those four years working on Bright Star was uh, informative to me, yes. So you went from Bright Star to a meteor shower. Does this reveal anything about your fascination with astronomy? Well, I've always had a fascination with astronomy, but I actually never even put that together. The, the title of Bright Star came from a little song I'd written, and I'd even written lyrics, which got changed, but the song was called Bright Star. I'm ready for my life to I'm ready for it all to start. My heart's about to bust. Don't lead the way. I must follow my own bright star. And uh, that was one of the first songs Edie and I put in, and she rewrote the lyrics for it, but the title stayed. So that's how it defaulted into that title. But Meteor Shower is actually about a meteor shower. Bright Star was metaphorical. This is about a meteor shower. Shower come up in conversation. She said Gerald wanted to leave town to see this meteor shower. First, I heard of it. Uh, so he puffs up, kept calling it a rain of fire. Can't miss the rain of fire once in a lifetime, Baba. And I said, We live in Ojai. And he said, Can you see the stars there? And I said, Yeah, shopping on the weekends. <laughs> and he looked at me like a blank, but she laughed. Wow, you liked that. Well, yeah, she got the joke. Now, you started Meteor Shower about two decades ago, correct? I, yes. Mm -hmm. And so what initially inspired you to write it, and then what made you feel this inspiration to go back to it? I've been going back to it periodically through the years. I think the first time I, we had a you know, staged reading of it, and I thought it was working, but it need, needs some work. I don't know quite, and I got very busy all of a sudden and didn't, didn't pursue it. And then every once in a while, I'll take it out, look at it, make some changes, figure it out. It's, its inspiration is, you know, it's because I started it 20 years ago, I'm not sure. I just thought a meteor shower was a great umbrella event to put some couples in, in a situation. Oh, wow, that's a beautiful one. <laughs> because sitcom writing is so good these days and has been for a long time, you have to be very careful that your play is not a sitcom because all the sitcom subjects have been covered. So it has to be a real theatrical and a little more intellectual and out of the real world than a, norm, than a normal sitcom would be. <coughs> Worky <coughs> is a uh, camel. No! I'm, I'm sorry, she doesn't like to talk about it, but since we're swapping intimacies... Is that <laughs> true? Please don't answer if you don't want to. Well, yes, it is true. But I don't like how you phrase it, Norm. I am not a cannibal. I was once a cannibal. <laughs> Remember, we looked it up. It doesn't matter if you're actively doing it now. Even if you've only done it once, you remain a uh, cannibal. Just <laughs> So how do you feel that you did that in this particular play? How did you pull it out of that sitcom realm and well, put it into a theatrical realm? Well, one, the language is, uh, I don't want to say it's elevated. It's different than, sometimes it's different than the way people talk n normally. Sometimes it's a little more poetic, not often. Also, uh, the events occur out of time. I mean, the time gets juggled around a little bit. And um, also, it, I feel it has a, a deeper point than you would find in a sitcom. The brightness of the sun overwhelms the dimness of the meteor, like the way some personalities overwhelm the lesser light.
I never thought of it that way. I didn't either. How about you, Norm? Glad. You ever think of it that way? Uh, I'm sure I did. When? Pardon? He wants to know when you thought of it that way. Uh, probably college. I thought of that day when I was 16. Oh. <laughs> See, meteors represent the conjunction of two very different worlds, like the bug flocks. The bug flocks? Yes, right here in California, too. You have the mountain bugs that love the mountains, and the coastal bugs that love the coast. But where they meet and mingle is called the bug flocks, and it's chaos. You started this 20 years ago. You, as a person, have changed a lot mm -hmm. in 20 years. So how have your views on marriage changed <clears throat> and kind of been reflected in the way you've changed the play? Well, this, a lot of people say the play is about marriage. I don't, I don't think that's its number one subject. I think it's about a individual psychology and it's expressed through the concept of, of marriage. I am so sorry. I honor that you're sorry. I honor and cherish you as a person. I need to be in my cave now. Yes. But yes, everything has, has changed quite a bit, and that's why when I go back to it, I want to make sure its number one purpose is to be funny and be surprising, surprisingly funny. I developed exploding head syndrome. It's not as rare as you might think. You can be just dozing off when suddenly you think you've heard the loudest explosion of your life. And it's in your head. It can't be measured from the outside. And I think we're bordering on that. But when, I, when the opportunity came up to do it, the first instinct was to modernize it. Like we had fax machines in it, you know, in, in the old, in the first version. And I thought, you know what? If I do update it to 2016, in 10 years, it's going to be out of date anyway. So I wanted to leave it in the period of 1993, also because the play deals with a certain subject matter that was fashionable in that period. So I actually, I decided I wanted to leave it in 1993. And when something's period, like that, by the way, it's only 23 years, but yeah, the audience can, can watch it like, like you'd watch Shakespeare, which you go, well, this isn't our times, but I'm still learning something from it. You get a, an easier perspective on the show, I think. Do you think that also comes from, like, if you, f by focusing on characters and kind of very human behavior, that it has this kind of universal and timeless quality? Mm -hmm. Well, I hope so. But I've always, uh, I've always believed that the more specific the characters are, the more universal they are, because even though a character might be completely unique, he is certainly sharing, he or she is certainly sharing characteristics with us today. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I think it also comes from like when somebody writes something that's very personal, the more personal detail they put in, yeah. it mm -hmm. tends to be more universal right. because mm -hmm. it's so specifically... Yeah. It's like an acting rule, it's a writing rule that's borne out to be True. When I talked to you about Bright Star, you had talked about a lot of these musicals you had seen as a kid. When you're writing comedy, and especially comedy that deals with romance or marriage, do you have any influence from old Hollywood movies like screwball comedies or films like that? Well, I would say this particular play, whatever my comedy influences are, are certainly coming into play. It's hard to, to name them all. But I'd say this play is more inspired by kind of absurdist theater, which I studied as a, in college. But it's not absurd, the play. It's not meant to be puzzling. 
so it, I, I'd say its roots are, are more literary, and also I feel the comedy that's coming out is new and fresh for me, which I, I like. So you can surprise yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You had talked about taking philosophy in college mm -hmm. and how that kind of changed your perspective on things. How has that affected you as a writer, especially moving into more uh, theatrical playwriting? Strangely, uh, philosophy almost has no humor in it. <laughs> uh, but it does have some humor. If you read Bertrand Russell, who was kind of freewheeling with his prose, which, which I really enjoyed. But also, specifically, it was more uh, logic. And, you know, Lewis Carroll was a logician, too. And he wrote uh, absurd syllogisms, essentially. And they really struck me. I thought, this, this is so strange. It's actually, it's like, where, wh why is this funny? And I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't conventional. And that's what I experienced when I was doing my stand-up act, which was I wanted to leave the audience going, I'm laughing, I don't know why. And I kind of want that for this play. I read people know if they want to sleep with a person within two seconds of meeting them. <laughs> Is that a non sequitur or a sequitur? Because <laughs> it has been getting laughs. We've had two previews. They've been successful, especially in the humor department. And I, I would say, like, at least 10 or 15% of it, you would say, I'm laughing. I'm not sure why. And I'm very happy about that. All right. I have to confess, I haven't been able to see the yeah, play sure. yet. Yeah. You don't but, have to confess that. <laughs> well, I always feel bad it's interviewing. It's a statement more than a confession. All right. It's yeah. a statement. Yeah. I always feel bad interviewing people when I haven't yeah, actually I seen. And it's very hard to talk. It's very hard to talk about it for me because I don't want to just say, well, here's what it is, and then have people go see it already knowing what it is. I like the first time effect. The surprise. The audio surprise. Yeah. All right, well, I'll try not to get yeah. you to reveal anything oh, that's okay. secret. Yeah. I found also it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so. But what I was going to ask is, everybody's been describing it as this adult comedy. Mm -hmm. So describe a little bit uh, what that means for an audience. Well, the word I always use is it's body, as opposed to vulgar. I don't like vulgarity. It, it, you know, when you just start writing, the rules aren't in your head. They say, oh, no, it, it can't be that. It can't be that. You just start writing and see what comes out, and then you shape it later. And it just immediately came out as, well, if you've got two, two couples under the stars in the summer drinking, <laughs> it might turn a little body. We're just nuts about each other. Hey, let me show you something. Laura, come here and blow me. <laughs> Why? Is it that day of the year? See? <laughs> I like the banter. Do you feel that the, the play reflects anything of your own marriage or your parents' marriage? I would say it doesn't, doesn't reflect my marriage. Definitely doesn't reflect my marriage. Well, maybe a little bit, maybe. But it reflects a, an interest I had, especially in the 90s, of learning about relationships. And I read a lot of books, and I, I paid attention. You know, I wrote a book called Shop Girl, which is about a you know, relationship that wasn't going to work. Are you happy? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm always a little edgy. Restless. That's a good word. I want you to have the drawing of me sleeping. It's in the gallery. You don't have to do that. No, I want you to have it. I made it while we were seeing each other. Thank you. And, um, just so you know, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I know. 
I did love you. It's Shop Girl is not very funny, but it is very emotional, I think. This play takes, let's call it my interest in how relationships work and turns it into comedy rather than turns it into sadness like Shop Girl did. You seem to be somebody who takes the art of comedy very seriously. Is that something that sometimes people don't expect? That I don't know. I, you know, I do a, I do a tour around the country doing a stage show with Marty Short. It's all comedy. It's all comedy. We, play, we do some music, but 90% of it is about the great joy in delivering a great joke. And I get a lot of pleasure from that. And I get pleasure from this in watching the actors deliver comedy to the audience, surprising comedy. And it's almost very touching to feel that your written word is getting a laugh as much as if I were d delivering it myself, which you know may not get a laugh if I do it. But it's really fun every night here. And you've written comedy for a lot of different formats in terms of stand-up mm -hmm. and uh, feature films and theater. What's the difference in writing comedy in a live theater situation versus for a film? Well, I'd, I'd almost say there's not much difference. The, the main difference is in the testing of it, you know, because I always test jokes and on people, I kind of sneak something in that I'm working on and say, I think there's a funny blah, blah, blah. But with live theater, you test it every night and you can make a change if it's not working or if it's written too subtly or too broadly. But in a movie, you shoot it and then you don't test it for six months late till six months later. And then if you want to change it, you either have to re-edit it, which may be possible or impossible, or reshoot something. So you're not really working in front of an audience in film, but that's another discipline. You learn how to do that too. And you have to rely on your own comedic beliefs but when you came in, you actually had new revisions for the play for mm -hmm. your director, Gordon. Mm -hmm. So it's still being tweaked. Even oh, it's still as being tweaked. Uh, you know, it, oh, this has only been performed ever twice. <laughs> and so you're constantly learning things about it. And you just don't want to say, especially with the comedy, say, no, no, that's it. You, you sometimes, have, you know, you tweak lines and, and that's what this process is. That's why you do previews. Otherwise, you wouldn't do previews. You just say, well, let's open it. Did you have any big surprises the first time it went before an audience? The main surprise was that they were laughing, you know, because you just never know. You know sometimes you, you go to bed the night before the first preview going, I can't think of one funny thing in this play. <laughs> and then, you know, the audience comes, sees it for the first time after you've been spending 20 years on it and it's fresh to them. So we were pleased. Do you enjoy it being performed in the round? Um, you know what, it's, it's just what it is. It seems to be going fine. So, you know, unfortunately it means that half the audience has their back turned. I mean, I, the actors have their back, back turned to half the audience at all times. But that's what the director does is move them around so that you're not uh, robbing people of seeing expression, etc. And talk about your cast. They're incredible. Jenna Fisher, Greg Gurman, Alex Hendrickson and Josh Stanford. They all are from different parts of the globe. Uh, Alex is a theater actress, and Jenna we all know, and we all know the other two, but I, they're spot on. I told them, I said, look, you guys are so good that if something doesn't work, I know it's the script. And sometimes when you're working, you can't tell because you know the act actor didn't deliver it the way it was intended, let's put it that way. So this is a great gift to be able to work with these 
really talented actors because they're, they're not only delivering it spot on, they're elevating and creating humor between the lines. So I'm really grateful to them. Did they take to the script right away like that or did they you have to. some dialogue no, with them? No, they seem to. They seem to understand, understand it and the characters. Barry talked about how you're very much a California writer. How, how well, do you that's a theory that? of his that I'm a California writer. But when I when I look back and I said, well, yeah, you could argue that because of L.A. story and Shop Girls set in L.A. and um, movies I've done been set in L.A. Bowfinger. But I do love California. I love being down here in San Diego. It's bright and sunny. My wife, who's very fair-skinned, has a big problem. <laughs> you know, I like the openness. I like driving, and I, I grew up in Orange County, California. How would you describe kind of the tone of your comedy? Gordon was talking about how it is non-judgmental and that mm -hmm. you have this kind of affection for your characters. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. You know, as a writer, you can't... If you create a bad guy, the audience knows that that character is a caricature. But if you, you create a real person who does bad things, that's different. Sometimes you can be sympathetic to a bad guy who's a real character or who's in a situation beyond their control somehow. We talked about the fact that you have written for a lot of different kind of formats. What keeps drawing you back to the stage? What is it about the stage that you are enjoying? I love um, really earning those laughs. And theater, <clears throat> they don't, the audience doesn't kid you. Their response is a true response. So I, I like the challenge of it. Plus, I, I really like that even though theater is ephemeral, the, the script lives on and you have this chance to work on it and work on it and work on it because it's absolutely true that 90%, well they always say 90% of a script is not written, it's rewritten. Sometimes you find a gem right away, sometimes it takes two weeks of production or sometimes it takes a month of production to find something. I, I find that my writing gets better the more opportunity I have to revisit it. So if I write a book, I, I, come, I put it down, if I'm finished, I put it down for at least a couple of weeks. Then I come back and I read it aloud to my dog. <laughs> and it's really just to hear the words and hear the words. And what, in theater, you get to hear the words all the time, every night. I mean, I love that I can go there tonight at seven o'clock and see it again and find timing. It's, it's uh, sometimes you'll just be listening to an exchange and you'll think, oh, this needs another line. It needs another line between when he says that and she says that. E even sometimes a pause or a gesture, and it, it makes a huge difference to be able to say to Gordon, the director, and say, I think it'd be better if they paused here and blah, 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 and then see it be true. You know, it's very exciting. Do you ever go back to one of your films and have that sensation of, oh, if I could only go back and tweak that? I don't really watch my old films, so, uh, but no, because I just know in my head it's impossible. So, yeah, there's certain things I, I, would, I would change, but you can't. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I want to thank you very much Great. for your time. Thank you so much. Oh, I can go to uh, You can get rehearsal. to rehearsal. Yeah. I think only a minute late. Oh, one minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Don't walk away with the microphone. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That was actor and writer Steve Martin. His world premiere play, Meteor Shower, runs at the Old Globe Theater through September 18th. But tickets are scarce. You can also listen to Podcast 75 to hear Martin discuss his earlier play at the Globe, Bright Star. Thanks for listening to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. 
Next up will be a preview of Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, which runs September 7th through the 11th. I'll be speaking with festival founder and director Miguel Rodriguez. We'll have an in-depth discussion about horror and how the festival is pushing the envelope on how we define that genre. There'll be lots of clips from the films, as well as a preview of the Fabio Fritzi concert Horrible Imaginings and Dread Central will be bringing to San Diego in September. Subscribe to Cinema Junkie on iTunes or check out the archives at kpbs.org slash junkiepodcast. So until our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.